is going on guys welcome to episode three of the pump handle podcast later on in the show i'm going to take a look at a memorable survivor series match we're also going to do the raw and smackdown reviews from this week but first a little bit of breaking ish news that i want to talk about and that is the announcement of the cruiserweight only show 205 live which is possibly the dumbest name for a wrestling program i've ever seen that will start airing on tuesday nights after smackdown later in the month um it looks like it's going to be a triple h run show given that you know he was the one who was quoted in the press release not vince not anyone else so it looks like it's going to be similar to nxt which is obviously a good thing for the cruiserweights listen you guys know for the first two episodes of the podcast, all I've harped about is that the cruiserweights are being misused, they're going to be mishandled, that this is what was going to happen when Vince got his hands on them. So now it looks like they're going to be given their own little opportunity to shine, and that, for me, creates all kinds of other problems and questions. First of all, this is another hour of programming every week. So now, on Monday and Tuesday nights, you have seven hours of programming. Three hours of Monday Night Raw, or, well, Monday to Wednesday, I suppose. Three hours of Monday Night Raw, two hours of SmackDown, that's five. An hour for NXT and an hour for 205 Live, that's seven. If you include the Talking Smack and Talking Raw, or Raw Talk, whatever the fuck it's called, the pre-shows, then you throw in a pay-per-view week, you're looking at 12 hours of content every week. That is a lot of time to dedicate to trying to keep up with these storylines that they're pushing out there. And that brings me to my other thing. Are the Cruiserweights going to keep having eight-minute matches on Raw that are basically fillers and then go to, to 205 Live and have these 20-minute barn burner matches that bring everyone to their feet? The continuity here is, is difficult for me to grasp. Again, this is something you're going to have to wait and see, I guess, when it airs. But um, that's my big, my, my big questions going into this is how are they going to keep everything all together, you know, keep the continuity going, keep the cruiserweights relevant on Raw. Are the cruiserweights no longer going to be on Raw? Like, with it being on Tuesday night, it would almost make sense... You know, so many things about this don't make sense. You have Moro Ronaldo and Corey Graves who are going to be calling it. So does that mean now that Corey Graves is going to be switching to SmackDown? Other than the fact that the name is absolutely stupid, that's about all we really know for sure. It's an interesting move. I think they needed to do something with the Cruiserweights to differentiate them from everything else that's going on in WWE because they are different that everything else that's going on in WWE. Um, I really think the cruiserweights are on life support right now, and this looks like it could be a step maybe in the right direction. It'll be interesting to see uh, if it's just an extension of SmackDown. Like, eh, so many questions. Um, but hey, I guess once the end of the month rolls around and we get to see one, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Also, some big news just came out in the last couple hours. I'm recording this on Wednesday night. Um, So it'll probably be totally refuted by the time I actually air this on Thursday. But apparently The Undertaker will be making his on-screen return November 15th uh, from uh, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Um, The 900th episode of SmackDown. Um, It was leaked out by the, I think, the Arena Management uh, Company where they're hosting this SmackDown Live. 
the 900th episode of SmackDown in general, um, saying The Undertaker would be there. Um, WWE has not confirmed as of the recording of this podcast if he's actually going to be there or not. It'll be interesting to see if this is just, um, you know, Undertaker showing up for the 900th episode of SmackDown. I mean, 900. I mean, you know, it's every couple of years they hit 100. So be interesting to see if he's just showing up for the 900th episode of SmackDown. Or if this starts something. I mean, there's a lot of rumors that The Undertaker could be in the Royal Rumble this year, considering it's going to be Alamo Dome, big crowd. They're going to need big names to attract big crowd. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, obviously, it's too early for The Undertaker to start some sort of WrestleMania feud. So be interesting to see if it's just a one-off appearance. Uh, and if he does try to get into some kind of program, who it's against. I mean, John Cena's got nothing going on right now. I'm just saying that's... The house money is on Undertaker Cena at WrestleMania, so it will be interesting to see uh, what happens there. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into the Raw review for this past week. If you follow me on Twitter at the Pump Handle Pod, this will sound very familiar to you. My Raw rating this week is 1 out of 5, and it is probably in the running for one of the worst Raws of 2016. This Raw was bad. Typically, the Monday Night Raw after a pay-per-view is one you never want to miss. Lots of reaction to what happened the night before. Um, None of that occurred on Monday Night Raw. It was bad. You could have easily not tuned in, and it would have been no problem. So, of course, coming off a big pay-per-view where we had uh, two title changes and three Hell in a Cell matches, what do you do? Well, you kick off with a Goldberg promo, of course. So Goldberg comes out, why is Goldberg wearing a winter jacket? I mean, he came out in his first appearance and literally sweat his bag off the whole time he was out there because he was wearing a jacket, and then he comes out with what looks like a heavier jacket. I don't understand. Um, Again, I would have preferred if they started the show with Charlotte or KO or anything Hell in a Cell related. I mean, Hell in a Cell, if you didn't watch my Hell in a Cell review, uh, my uh, small package that I did... um, you know, it was good. I really liked Hell in a Cell. I thought it was great, and I think they could have capitalized on that. Um, but you could tell from the get-go, and this is going to come up again when we do the SmackDown Live review in a few minutes, this Raw and probably next week's Raw and the Raw after that is all dedicated to Survivor Series. Uh, Survivor Series is a one-off pay-per-view, uh, and it's just this is everything is dedicated to Survivor Series right now. Um, it was amazing they let Paul Heyman back on live TV after the shitstorm from last week. Um they brought Rusev out as like a jobber. You knew as soon as Rusev's music hit what was going to happen. Um, it'd be kind of interesting. You know what? If Paul Heyman ever wanted to add another Paul Heyman guy, I think Rusev would be perfect. I mean, he's a similar to Brock Lesnar, as in he's a big, menacing, aggressive, um, I mean, heel. I mean, Brock Lesnar's supposed to be a heel. Um, I think Rusev would be great as a Paul Heyman guy. I hope... I'm sure this was just a fluke that Rusev came out, but I think it'd be kind of cool if Rusev someday was a Paul Heyman guy. I think it would be great to get Heyman on TV more often. Not that Rusev needs promo work, but I just think that would be an interesting combination. Um, overall, I didn't like the segment um, with the spear and the jackhammer. I didn't like the segment personally, but after what happened last week with the Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar shitstorm you can understand why it was a necessary segment come out get Goldberg out there rekindle some of the feud um did anybody see Brian Byron Saxon's costume holy sweet fuck that was brutal um 
Gallows versus Enzo in the trick or street fight. Uh, do I have to actually dissect this gimmick match? Um, I mean, you literally had 24 hours before Gallows and Anderson looking badass, beat up Enzo and Cass. You come out on Raw and Anderson or Gallows or whoever, Gallows, basically jobs to Enzo. Like, and it was awful. And I mean, how bad did it look when Cass was trying to put the pumpkin on it? And Gallows literally was helping him put a fucking jack-o'-lantern on his head. Like, no, please stop. Stop with stupid, pointless gimmick matches. It's just, it's horrible. It really is. Um, Perkins versus Kendrick. I really thought this was just going to be a way to dispatch of TJ Perkins. I mean, you took the title off him the way you did at Hell in a Cell. Give him his rematch. Quick win for Kendrick. He cheats, and then Perkins is out of the picture. And then somebody like Rich Swan or Cedric Alexander comes up. Well, it didn't really work out that way. I mean, you know, it's... It seems like this feud is going to continue, which I think is a big mistake. I don't think TJ Perkins is ready for Monday Night Raw. I really don't. Um, Kendrick can actually operate a microphone and talk to a crowd and, and get, you know, all Perkins has is stupid little video game references, and it's like, ah, it's not funny. It's not funny. That's not what people are looking for. Um, if, you, if you missed Rich Swan. On, I think he was on halfway through Hell in a Cell, or at some point during the pre-show, maybe he was on the panel. And I mean, he's got charisma. I, I think he'd be a good guy. But but anyway, it seems like this Perkins Kendrick thing may continue on. Um, hopefully, Brian Kendrick as the champion can bring a little more relevancy to the cruiserweights as an actual champion who can communicate in proper sentences. <sighs> Braun Strowman wanting to be part of Team Raw. Uh, you knew it was so inevitable. Uh, the fact they were going to decide when they were, they had a battle royal. And speaking of which, having a battle royal on Raw, that's just like the creative team sitting back and being like, we have no fucks to give. Battle royal. Do it. We have no plans. Let's have a battle royal. Um, the Nick... Or Nick. The Nick Foley promo... Was, was not bad, other than KO saying he outsmartened them. Trying to make fun of someone outsmarting someone and then screwing up the word outsmarting. That's pretty bad. Um, but the promo got long and dry. Like, I almost fell asleep. Now, I was watching it the next morning um, on the PVR, and I almost fell asleep watching the promo. It was that long and drawn out. Uh, and then here comes Roman Reigns. Yay. Oh, yay. That might have been one of the biggest anti-Roman reactions I've seen in a while. I mean, since, like, when, when we first started having the anti-Roman movement, they were really, really bad. But this one has been the worst one I've seen in a while with the Roman sucks chance. Um, and isn't it funny that in 2016... You have Roman Reigns, who the company's trying to push as the future of the company, or one of the pieces of the future of the company. Huge baby face, and he's getting booed. And you have Chris Jericho, a heel, who has a, literally a fucking list on an aluminum clipboard, and the list, every time the list is brought up, it's a huge fucking pop. Like, list, pop, Roman Reigns, heat. 2016, man. It's 20. 16. And then they announced Jericho and Roman for later in the show. Big whoop. A feud that has not a feud. It's just a match. This this is my issue with this Raw. It was basically, let's shut the Raw 
storylines and everything down for the sake of Survivor Series. And I'm just like, I can't stand that crap. Uh, the Battle Royal, Braun Strowman predictably win, won. The crowd was into it, which was nice. Um, they had that little Strowman, Sami Zayn dynamic. I think it's a good opportunity for Braun Strowman to be part of the Team Raw at uh, Survivor Series. I mean, at least you're going to get a chance to see what he can do. Um, I don't know how the team dynamic is going to work, but anyway. Um, New Day was up next. Seriously, if we're just going to give out talk shows and all this stuff to everybody, let's give the New Day their own 30-second talk show at the end of Raw, like after Raw's over, so I don't have to watch it. Uh, and they can just do their comedy shtick and be done with it, because that's about all they're good for right now. Um, this segment on Raw was about three and a half million times better than their Hell in a Cell pre-show segment, but still, like... You know, you get, you get New Day, you got uh, Enzo and Cass. Like, it's just it's too much. It's too much of the funny ha-ha one-liners. Like, it's too much for one night. I just, I can't handle it. Um, Six-man cruiserweight tag team match. Um, so much for positioning Cedric Alexander as a top guy when you put Drew Gulak's uh, Titantron up when Cedric comes out. Uh, and again, it was a six-minute match where literally nothing happened. Uh, it was a cheesy finish. Whatever. Uh, again, we talked about it earlier in the show. Cruiserweights need something to happen. Um, Charlotte promo. Charlotte right now has to be considered head and shoulders above all the other women on Smat or on Raw, including Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks is is going to have difficulty staying healthy. She is going down the Daniel Bryan path of just, you know, you're going to go up there and you're going to give Barnstormer matches, but she took five or six really solid hard bumps uh, at Hell in a Cell. She was not on Monday Night Raw, which is not surprising. Um, and I mean, again, if she can't do that and stay healthy and take safer bumps, she's never going to get up to that level of Charlotte. Uh, and Bailey's not up to that level yet because you can see Bailey's mic work still needs a little bit. You know, it's a little green. She needs to work on it some. Um, I'm glad to see her up there. You know, at least she's out there in the same ring as Charlotte. Again, it was Survivor Series related, of course, as everything else on Raw was. Then she took on Nia Jax. Immediately, Dana Brooke is back to being Charlotte's lackey protege again, standing next to her at the announce table. Fucking stupid. Get rid of her. Please, please, please. Nia Jax picks up a relatively easy win. <sighs> Yawn. Who cares? Sheamus and Cesaro versus the Shining Stars. Sheamus and Cesaro live on and continue. Uh, fuck it. Um, I, and again, I've said this a few times, but I can't stand the literally the entire show being geared towards Survivor Series. Um, it really just pissed me off. It really did. Uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be a single title defended at Survivor Series. Now, this is during Raw. Obviously, this changed when SmackDown came around, which we'll talk about in a sec. Um, the fact that they still let Golden Truth segments on Raw, um, just, it, that speaks how shitty things are on Raw right now. You're still allowing Golden Truth segments. Uh, Roman versus Jericho, you knew what Rollins running was going to happen. I mean, he wasn't seeing the whole show. You knew Rollins was going to run in. Very predictable. Again, a really bad episode of Monday Night Raw. I was very, 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 very just 
fuck it. I mean, it had no purpose. There was no nothing. I would have just rather they just shut the whole thing down and had a three-hour infomercial just running the Survivor Series teams up and down the screen. That's pretty much what this show accomplished. On to SmackDown. Um, SmackDown, I gave a three out of five. Um, it was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. Um, and the main reason that it differentiated itself from Raw is that SmackDown was still able to get the Survivor Series business out of the way, but still continue their storylines that they have. Um, you know, they don't have a pay-per-view until TLC, which is in December sometime. Uh, I think it's December 9th or something like that. So, I mean, they, you know, they're going to have to slow build a lot of these over the next five weeks, but they did a good job of integrating the Survivor Series stuff with the storyline stuff. That was my big kicker. Uh, Ellsworth kicks off the show. What a time to be alive when James Ellsworth kicks off the show. And by the way, James Ellsworth has better mic skills than like 75% of the roster right now. I mean, like, seriously, the dude can handle the mic. He's got, he's in motion, you know, he, he, he's into the crowd, the crowd's into him. Um, it was a decent opening segment. It piqued my interest for the rest of the show. Um, you didn't know at the time that there was going to be a Styles-Ambrose match later on. So, I mean, it was a good opening segment with Ambrose and Styles, and Styles hitting the phenomenal forearm, and Ellsworth kind of getting in the way again. Orton versus Kane. Um, if you had heard any of the spoilers on what had happened over the weekend with the whole Orton-Wyatt thing, when they said it was a no-DQ, you knew what was going to happen. Even if you didn't, you knew when it said no-DQ, that meant Wyatt's, basically, Wyatt's. Um, I'm interested to see if the Orton-Wyatt team, I'm not calling it the Wyatt family, the Orton-Wyatt team, if it ends up being like a Daniel Bryan kind of thing, now obviously Bryan was a distinct follower and Wyatt was still the leader, I think Orton's still going to be that, you know, upper character with Bray. But if this is going to be just a quick, he Orton's going to be bad for a month and then he's going to turn on him. And it's going to be, then if that's the case, it's all for nothing. I'd like to see this be drug out for months and months and months and let it just slowly burn off. And then you have the snap at like WrestleMania. Um, the issue I have with that, though is who are they going to face on a regular basis? I mean, are you just going to put them up against Kane every week? Um, that's something that would have to be determined. But again, it would be interesting to see where this dynamic goes. Um, the later on promo, that shit with where they were flashing the things in Randy Orton's eyes. Oh, my sweet Jehovah's. That's like, that's like a bad 70s fucking horror movie trick. Like, oh my God, it was so bad. Uh, Nikki Bella and Becky Lynch against Alexa Bliss and Carmella. Uh, it was not a great technical match, but it advanced their storylines along. A lot of people have to remember that Becky and Alexa have a title match in Germany, I think, this weekend. Uh, somewhere in Europe. Um, so, you know, they're trying to build up to that. Um, Alexa and Carmella cut a really good promo uh, after the match. Again, you got to remember, they're still rookies, basically, in the main roster, you know, they've only been there for a few months, um, so um, it was good to see them cut a nice heel promo, it was good, again, I'm really interested, I, I like what Carmella's doing right now, and I think Alexa Bliss is getting better each week, um, speaking of the women, uh, Natalia gets added as a coach to the SmackDown Women's Survivor Series team after she lost last week, um, if you guys listened to last week's episode of the podcast, I said, I'm pretty sure 
Natty is going to defect or interfere or something um, to get her to Raw, and this would be a perfect opportunity for her to do that. Um, so I'm looking good there. American Alpha versus the Spirit Squad, predictable result. You knew American Alpha was going to win. This was just a way to A, get them their Survivor Series uh, status, and B, get them back on TV because they've been off TV for a couple weeks. Um, and they did the exact same thing with Headbangers versus Usos. You knew Headbangers weren't going to win. Usos win, uh, get them back on TV after not being there for a couple weeks, and you move on. Uh, Miz TV uh, was one of the better segments of the night, obviously. It was great. Continues to build that heat between uh, Daniel Bryan and The Miz. Got the Survivor Series stuff out of the way and made it exciting, at least, because you knew he wasn't going to say The Miz's name. I mean, really. Um, so I liked it. It was a good segment. They got it out of the way. They uh, Much better than Raw, who basically just spread it out over the course of the whole show. Um, the Dolph Ziggler open challenge, uh, Kurt Hawkins, 10 second squash match, get Kurt Hawkins off of TV. This is, he's got the worst thing going in years and years and years. It is bad, bad, bad. Please go away. Kurt Hawkins. Now, earlier we talked about no titles being defended at Survivor Series. Well, Dolph Ziggler issued an open challenge to anyone on the Raw roster. For the IC title. So does this mean we're maybe going to see an IC title switch? Probably not. Um, I, I can't I can't see that happening, obviously. Then it would throw the title out of balance. So it would be interesting to see what happens there. Um, I could see it being Sami Zayn being the one who steps up. And this would be some sort of way to get the story intertwined. To keep get Zayn going to... SmackDown, you know, maybe Zayn goes in, beats Dolph Ziggler, and then they get him to SmackDown. Maybe Zayn goes in, has a great match, and then Ziggler lobbies to get him to SmackDown. So I don't know. Who knows? Uh, the main event, AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose. Uh, if Ambrose wins, he's a number one contender. If he loses, he's never going to get a number one contender again, I guess. Uh, as I said last week, give me a match like this every single week, SmackDown. 18 to 20 minutes, great action, big spots. It was great. This is what is setting SmackDown apart from Raw right now. SmackDown leaves you excited. It gives you a great match. The segments are purposeful. Um, but this was great. And it looks like Dean Ambrose has worked on his moveset. He's added some new spots, some new holds, um, some new moves to try and, and keep up with AJ Styles, I guess. Or just, you know, further himself as an entertainer. Um, so that was nice to see as well. Uh, and then the Ellsworth interference was just enough, not too much. You knew it was going to happen, but it was just enough that it, you know, gave you the result that you wanted out of the match, which obviously was Dean Ambrose winning. But it wasn't too much that James Ellsworth was the focus of the match. I mean, he came out, you know in the latter part of the match after Ambrose and Styles had already got the crowd amped up and had a great match. He's running through the crowd and the security guards are chasing him and anyway it was it was well done. SmackDown once again dominates Raw this week. What'd you guys think of Raw and SmackDown? Uh, if you're watching on YouTube let me know in the comments below. Uh, also you can hit me up on the Twitter machine at pump handle pod. Now, this week and the next two podcasts, I'm going to be taking a look back at some of my more memorable Survivor Series matches as we get into the big show in Toronto, in Toronto on November 20th. And speaking of being in Canada land, 
Obviously, this week, we're going to take a flashback to 1997 and probably still to this day the most memorable Survivor Series moment the Montreal screw job when Shawn Michaels defeated Bret Hart for the WWF at the time championship and then all the everything went to hell um, you know you guys know the story by now right Bret Hart was leaving for WCW in about four weeks excuse me he didn't want to lose on in Canada. He said, he claims, he said, he'd lose anywhere in the U.S. or he would drop the title, but he didn't want to lose at Survivor Series in Montreal. Didn't want to get, didn't want a job in Canada. Vince didn't want him to leave with the belt, especially after what Alundra Blaze slash Medusa had done. Um, and again, that was with the women's title. This was the WWF title. Now, everyone has said, Bischoff said, Hart said that was never going to happen, that with the litigation that was going on between the teams that, or between the, uh, the companies, that wouldn't have happened at that point. But you never know. And that was in the era where Vince did not trust anyone. And if you screwed Vince, he made you look bad. I mean, the, the Nash and Hall impersonators, I mean, all that shit that went on. I mean, it was, it was bad. But... You guys always knew Vince always gets what he wants. He knew there was bad blood between Brett and Sean so that it would be easy for Sean to, to do this. Um, it was such a consequence of the WWF-WCW battle. I mean, Vince literally didn't trust anyone. He couldn't risk losing any more than they had already lost. I mean, this is 97, wwf WWE, they were hurting at the time. Things were bad. WCW was rattling off ratings win after ratings win. Their Nitro was three hours when Raw was two hours. I mean, they just, they had, they were live. WWF was taped. It, they had everything going for them at WCW and everything was going against Vince. And I mean, a lot of people who forget this part is that Vince had signed Brett to like a 20 year contract. Where he was going to you know, be the star for 10 more years and he was going to get a front office job. And he was going to basically be the face of the WWF for the next two decades. But the money dried up. Vince went to him and said, go talk to Ted Turner. See what you can do because we're going like, you know, to have to get out of this. So, I mean, to be, and the thing is, it's really sad that it ended that way and that it took... 13 years to be resolved i mean brett was a beloved character i mean he was getting a lot of heat in the u.s at the time because he was doing the pro canada stuff but i mean he was he was the man i mean brett was up there i mean it was you know him and sean were basically 1a 1b at that time not necessarily in any order i mean they were just that that close and i mean we were robbed of you know uh Bret Hart Stone Cold uh, world title feud or a Bret Hart The Rock world title feud. I mean, we were robbed of all that because of what went down. Um, and I mean, really, I still think it's a black mark on the WWE how they let that go down. Sure, I'm sure Bret was partially to blame or fully to blame or whatever, but still, the way WWF handled it on a pay-per-view that people paid... You know, whatever the going rate was for a pay-per-view back then, to have that happen and then them cut it off, you know, that leaves a bad taste in your mouth, really. Uh, maybe it could have been avoided. Um, but what it did lead to was it led to two things that 
well, three things, I guess, that are, are really important. The first thing that it led to, and a lot of people don't put the two and two together, but it immediately led to the Rick Rude incident. Um, Rick Rude was a big fan of Bret Hart's. He didn't like the way Vince handled it, and he quit. He went to WCW. But Rick Rude appeared on WWF, and WWF Raw, Monday Night Raw, and Monday Nitro in the same night. He had done the taped version of Raw and then literally went to Nitro and appeared live on Nitro. He was on the, the both Monday night programs on the same Monday night, which was like, huh? What? You almost thought like, wow, like Nitro's literally poaching people as the show is happening for all those marks out there who didn't realize that Raw was taped. So you're like, oh my god, like how how are they making this happen? Like it was you thought for sure WWF was dead. The other thing it led to was it, it indirectly or directly, depending on what whose story you believe, led to the creation of the Mr. McMahon character, the mega heel that everybody hated, and ended up being the direct nemesis of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and obviously has led to one of the best feuds in wrestling history. And basically cemented the Attitude Era. So that's obviously another very good thing. Uh, and it's been redone many, many times. WWE redid it literally a year later with The Rock and Mick Foley. Um, there was, was there the Charles Robinson, uh, the Charlotte thing? Where was that? Was that WrestleMania or uh, Backlash maybe? Where they Ric Flair, Charles Robinson did? They did something with Natty. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, it's 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 been redone. So no matter how you look at it, it's impacted wrestling in a huge, huge way. Maybe more so than any other single incident. Um, if you want more information on the Montreal Screwjob, I definitely recommend you go read the Wikipedia article. Um, the uh, Not that I always recommend Wikipedia, but the Wikipedia article on the Montreal Screwjob is great. has a lot of great information. goes in-depth on all the different characters that were involved. Pat Patterson, uh, Briscoe, uh, Earl Hebner, and what levels maybe they knew, maybe they didn't know what they've said Um over time and obviously it tackles the real question was it a work there is still a very large percentage of people who think the Montreal screw job was all a work that Brett was in on it that the whole thing has been a work to this day who knows what do you guys think do you guys think the Montreal screw job was a work um, let me know in the comments below on YouTube or hit me up on Twitter at the Pump Handle Pod. What do you guys think of the Montreal Screwjob? Do you still remember it vividly 19 years later? Anyways, guys, that's this week's episode of the Pump Handle Podcast. Join me next Thursday for a brand new episode. Um, one thing I'd like you guys to do is go on the Twitter machine at Pump Handle Pod and send me some of your guys' favorite Survivor Series moments. Uh, and I will read some of them on next week's show. Huh? Viewer interaction, right? Um, as always, guys, if you're watching on YouTube, please, please hit the subscribe button down below the video. If you're listening to the audio format on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play, I appreciate you listening to this episode. I hope you listen to the future episodes as well. Until next time, peace.